So, so the the key with children's books is to have a story that's visual for the kids in the text, uh -huh. and then have a great illustrator as the partner to kind of get that that message across visually to the kids, and then engage them with other different tasks and exercises that they can use as playtime as they're as they're going through this reading. Process. On this episode of Playtime, brainstorming a kids book with Ken Corber from the Center for Functional Learning. Plus, new albums from Florence Dorr, Julia Sanders, and Evermore Nest. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. friend Ken Corber went from physician assistant and surgical PA to refocus decades of bedside and patient education experience on patient education and health promotion as a children's book author. Corber's The Musical Adventures of Gray series was inspired by his son, a cellist, who uh, about grace notes, those minor notes that are sometimes used to give the music more flair. The result is a series of stories that can be used by parents clinicians, and educators as innovative sources to improve children's lives and enhance reading skills, health literacy, and music learning. Ken Korber is the founder of the Center for Functional Learning, a 501c3 organization whose purpose is bringing together music, reading, and health. You can find his books at Amazon uh, and one of my favorite sites, EckhartsPress.com, uh, also at the Center for Functional Learning.com. Uh, and you can find Mr. Corber, at least for the next 40 minutes or so, right here. How you doing, Ken? Great. Good to be with you, Bill. Oh, it's wonderful to see you again. Uh, so I've been been mulling over exactly where to start this conversation. Uh, and I thought I'd start because we're going to use this. Well, first of all, we're going to use this on my Playtime podcast. We're also going to use at least a, 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 a portion of this on the Chicago Writers Association Chicago Rights uh, podcast. So I, I, I guess it uh, it behooves us to begin with a little bit of uh, background. This is a this is a learnable moment for me, a uh, teachable <laughs> moment for you, uh, and uh, and I'd, I'd say for a lot of our our, our guests a a very learnable moment. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about about children's literature and children's books, but uh, but I, I, I found this really fascinating. Early children's literature consisted of spoken stories, songs, and poems, which they kind of do now. Uh, used to educate, instruct, and entertain children. The earliest of these books were educational books, books on conduct, and simple ABCs, often decorated with animals, plants, and anthropomorphic letters, kind of like they are now. Uh, the English philosopher John Locke, we're really, we're really going back into the uh, uh, into the history book here, brother. Uh, the English uh, philosopher John Locke developed his theory of the tabula rasa in his 1690, an essay concerning human understanding in Locke's philosophy, tabula rasa, was the theory that the human mind is at birth a blank state without rules for processing data and that data is added and rules for processing are formed solely by one's sensory experiences. Uh, 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 debatable, but uh, 
not completely off the mark concept. Locke himself em emphasized the importance of, of providing children with easy, pleasant books to develop their minds rather than using force to compel them. Something I think is is lost on, on a lot of people. He wrote, uh, children may be cozened into knowledge of the letters, be taught to read without perceiving it to be anything but a sport and play themselves into that which others are whipped for. He also suggested the picture, picture books uh, be created for children. That's all the way back in John Locke's time. Hmm. Uh, among these were the fables of, uh, of Aesop, uh, and uh, the 1697 tales of Mother Goose. And uh, then I have I have some other examples here I'm not going to get into. Uh, another influence on the shift of attitudes uh, came from Puritanism, which really surprised me, which stressed the importance of individual salvation. Puritans uh, were concerned with the spiritual welfare of their children, and there was a large growth in the publication of good godly books aimed specifically at children in Italy, Giovanni Francesco Straparola uh, released the uh, Facidious Knights of Straparola. Rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it, Ken? Uh, in, the, <laughs> in the 1550s, called the first European storybook to contain fairy tales. Uh, it eventually had 75 separate stories and uh, and was written for uh, for largely an adult audience in the 1740s cluster and I'm, I'm getting to the end here uh, so we're not going to go on through the entire history of all this but in the <laughs> 1740s a cluster of london publishers began to introduce new books designed to instruct and delight young readers thomas borman was one another was mary cooper uh who's uh who's two volume tommy thumb pretty songbook from 1744 is the first known nursery rhyme collection uh but the most celebrated of these pioneers was john Newber newberry uh whose first book for the entertainment of children was a pretty little pocketbook from 1766 much of children's literature therefore uh is relatively new and was written in the last uh, and then this really surprised me in the last century and a half if you go back to uh john newberry or or mary cooper 200 years 200 220 years 250 years which is a relatively short amount of time in the overall history of literature the brothers Grimm came in uh came in near the middle of the 19th century uh considering that uh that adult literature uh or human literature the the epic of gilgamesh uh is about 4500 years old we're just kind of on the doorstep of of a of a vast learning curve on on how to engage our children um their their thought their learning and imagination um which is kind of why i brought up i brought up that history do you do you sort of agree that we're we're still on a on a huge learning curve when it comes to uh to engaging children's minds i think so and and, and thank you for the education john Locke and i were good, <laughs> were good friends for many years ago there will be a quiz following the uh the show <laughs> But uh, yeah, absolutely. Engagement with kids, especially in, in the health domain, huge, uh -huh. a huge, huge, huge issue. Um, and that was sort of the basis for my to kind of, my my reason to go and pivot this way and, and sort of try to get creative and, and get something published. Because, I mean, uh -huh. not, not to not to go on too long about it, but cool. 
I always experienced the fact that a 10-minute office visit with a family was never long enough in a clinic setting to, to talk to the adults and then expect the children to understand the same conversation that I was having with the adults yeah. in the room. And then they then they go home. So so the idea of a children's book for, from my perspective was how do I take that 10-minute encounter and extend it in a way that's familiar to kids? And and that's one way um, through a children's book, bedtime reading story, or in, in some cases, we, we throw it into the classroom setting for reading circle times with kids as a group. So yeah, that was the basic sort of driver for me to kind mm -hmm. of get involved with this from a more practical perspective. But I absolutely agree with you. Um, the engagement piece of it is huge. And that's why health literacy is an important thing. I think that the attitude of John Locke, of, of a child's mind being, being a clean, empty slate, is partly true but mostly wrong and yeah. and so what what you're talking about is engaging uh engaging children on multiple levels at, at the very least two levels maybe three levels if if that if that narrative is being read to them by a parent we all have multiple uh avenues for for learning we're we're some of us are visual learners. Some of us are, are written learners and some of us, you know, so, so we each need that, that different engagement, which is why as, as a child in school, you listen to the teacher and you take notes, you read the book, you take notes. It's, it's engaging all of those faculties in order to, in order to help you, you listen. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about children's books, which kind of makes them, unique in, in the genre is the idea that you're you're putting in this visual reading comprehension thing seeing vocabulary seeing words and letters uh, all in the same story mm -hmm. so if you can then bring a little health message into that whole equation you're sort of teaching them without them really thinking that they're being taught anything right so yeah if grace tell, if grace is telling them that they should be brushing their teeth that now you have an engagement through Grace as a character who's a friend of them through the stories, right? So I mean, it mm -hmm. becomes a very cool environment for them to work, and they're familiar with that environment because it's a picture. And I, that's why I thought that that Locke was was a little bit right, and and maybe a lot wrong, or or at least hadn't made that that deeper understanding of of children's intellectual capabilities and by by making it making it fun then then the, the kid comes to or the child comes to comes to that material voluntarily and their mind is open to it as opposed to being uh being cajoled or punished into uh in into reading it's one of the things that i i've uh i've always said about about art is that we we negate the child's intellectual curiosity and creative creative capabilities by teaching them for for a lifetime by teaching them that coloring or drawing or or some other creative enterprise is is a get out of my face kind of uh kind of activity here go color uh i can't right. deal with you now uh go draw <laughs> you know uh and and so so that 
I, I think that builds a culture in which art isn't and 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 by extension literature is not considered a serious endeavor. You, yeah, more of a more of a task them. as opposed to yeah, experience, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So so this is where this began with you and I. <laughs> uh because I, I've been I've been so I, I've been a fan from yours from the beginning. I've uh, been a believer from yours uh, of yours from the beginning, and and I, so I, I keep I keep joking because uh, the uh, the the musical adventures of Grace, you know, deals with, with she's as, as we said a Grace note is is those is those those notes that kind of give flavor and color um, and texture to a to a musical piece, um, and so I I I've, I've joked about a. Uh, uh, a Halloween piece based upon ghost notes. Right. So, so we, we've kind of had, we've kind of had this, uh, this little conversation going back between us. So uh, over the years, last May, I had a, uh, a health issue, a stroke, which essentially, uh, which essentially damaged or killed a, a part of the brain involved in, in the motor function on my, uh, on my right side, uh, which is my dominant side, by the way, I'm right-handed. So it was, it was extra debilitating. I didn't know if I, if I was going to, if I was going to use my, my hand or arm normally ever again. Um, and, and with the help of, of my wife and friends and, uh, and, and a, a great community and, and some great, um, physical therapists, I've made a substantial recovery. And I, I don't think, I mean, I, I noticed little things, but I don't think most people would, would notice, uh, and I've worked very hard at that, would notice that I've had, had a stroke. So as part, of, as part of your series, you've also published books on COVID and vaccines, fire prevention. By the way, Tell us a little bit about the the fire prevention project. That book is now in its second printing. Yes, so That's we awesome. we expanded we expanded the burn section uh -huh. based on feedback from from the readers that read the first story. So it's an activity book, not really a, a story book per se, but okay. what it does again engagement tool in a way that kids can understand what's important about the catastrophic results of getting burned. Yeah. at home or or elsewhere and then also fire prevention at home as well so so there was a we spoke with a bunch of for the research we spoke with a bunch of fire departments locally and and what you know what do kids what do kids get mm -hmm. uh, as a as a resource and as an educational tool that you guys provide and the only thing that came up was this once a year during burn prevention week in October or fire prevention week in October, where they would visit schoolroom classrooms with, you know, with their firefighter gear on and they would, you know, impress upon the kids the fact that, you know, smoke detectors are important at home and, you know, stay away from hot stoves in the kitchen, you know, those typical kinds of kinds of things. So we we took that idea and said, let's create a book about this. So it becomes something that's a little more iterative and a uh -huh. little more um useful for the kids from a play mm -hmm. perspective right so they mm -hmm. can do crossword mm -hmm. puzzles and you know find the the dalmatian dog as as a sort of uh word search kind of a thing 
in all in different all different aspects of of learning, by the way. Right, all different aspects of learning, and then the characters then are on the page. Grace and her friends. So if they're familiar with Grace and their and her friends, there's a familiar face there that's next to the crossword puzzle, or next to the word find, or next to the coloring picture, or mm -hmm. next to accounting exercise about fire extinguishers. I mean, things like that. But it's also a tool that the parents then can use as a conversation piece at home to kind of drill, you know, drill down and, and help the kids understand why it's important, why daddy just put up a new fire alarm in the ceiling that beeps all the time. You know, what does that mean to the kid? Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we just try to kind of um, encourage that sort of engagement and, and behavior and and hopefully something sticks. Right. And, and then the kids then understand that they can become part of an escape plan for a family with the houses on fire or, or mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. things like that in a way that they understand without, you know, hearing it from an adult level conversation or, or text. So dovetailing off that, you, uh, you thought it would be, it would be useful to have, to have a, to publish a book in which Grace helps her grandmother either, right. either to prevent the stroke or to recognize the, the signs of a stroke or, uh, or to, to help her after. I've written a number of books, but I've never written a kid's book. I'm I'm on a huge learning curve here, uh, and I thought we could take um, take listeners along on our journey a, a little bit. If you're good with that, sure, yeah, all right, all right. Um, so you're a pro at this. First of all, what have you learned about writing and publishing kids' books? First of all, very different from a novel. I never yeah. really considered myself an author, so to speak. Uh -huh. it's, I'm, a, I'm a children's book author. And I, and I maybe write a thousand words, not five or 10,000 or 20,000 words. Um, so so the, the key with children's books is to have a story that's visual for the kids in the text uh -huh. and then have a great illustrator as a partner to kind of get that, that message across visually to the kids and then engage them with other different tasks and exercises that they can use as playtime as they're, as they're going through this reading process. You know, I came across this this uh, this quote from uh, Australian author Mem Fox, who's written a number of books, Possum Magic and Koala Lou, Time for Bed, and she's written a sort of a how-to book, Reading Magic, Why Reading Aloud to Our Children Will Change Their Lives Forever, which uh, which sums up our, our conundrum here perfectly. Writing a picture book is like writing War and Peace and Haiku. <laughs> Got to get the right syllable count. <laughs> I, indeed, indeed. All right, let's. So, so we want to write a story about Grace and her grandmother. Let's let's start with with this this aspect. First, you have to know your market. What what publishers and agents recommend is that people do a Google search for for a title and a subject, uh, which I which I did by the way. There are only two children's books that talk about strokes uh right. what ha and and probably probably the most prominent one is what happened a child's book about what happened and what to expect after mommy had a stroke our angle is to pre prepare kids ahead of time though i i think but it, it it's true that that mothers are are at increased risk for some types of stroke um just simply because of the stress of pregnancy and childbirth but it's it's much more common as as we age, right? Right, correct. That that title and published book is is a 
great example because that's kind of the direction we want to go uh-huh. but we're going to put our own little flavor on it uh, yeah. and our own experience on it in a way that'll be a little bit different and a little bit unique uh from from the point of view of the of the reader who's you know the three to six year old that's going to be mm-hmm. picking it up so the american stroke association uh gives this acronym to help people identify a person or themselves but a, a person who's who's having or may be having a stroke and it's called FAST, uh, right. F for face, A for arms, S for speech, uh, and T for time. We don't want to terrify kids, uh, I'm thinking. <laughs> That's where prevention and taking the shock out of a loved one's health event is is key, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 important to, again, you know, not, not do the... Um the fear-based kind of a thing for something that they don't understand, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, the issue in, in the real world is that kids are not really allowed to visit their family members in the intensive care units. I mean, that's really not not useful as a way for patient management in the ICU. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it becomes it becomes an issue medically as well as, as psychosocially for the for the family, the kid and the patient. So so that's another angle that we're going to sort of take under our wing and, mm-hmm. and develop is it's not so much the only the relationship with mom and the child and mm-hmm. the pending disaster of the mother having the stroke and, and dealing with all those things. But it's even, you know, ex- explaining to the child again in in language that they understand what it's all about when mommy or grandma has to go to the hospital you know Mm -hmm. in in the ambulance with all those noisy sirens and whistles and and lights that are you know in their driveway that they have never seen before you know those kinds of things so So, yeah we're we're sensitive to those types of issues yeah yeah so so this is this is the nine uh the nine steps uh on how to write a children's book uh, one, choose a format. Two, know your target category. I'd say I'd say probably one and two are, are maybe interchangeable. Choose a title, number three. Number four, find a writing style. Number five, incorporate important elements. Number six, use solid characters. Uh, number seven, make the story engaging. Number eight, proofread and edit. And number nine, illustrate your book. You've already got uh, you've already got a very well established character in in Grace, so so number number six is already taken care of. So I, I'd say I'd say we're we're going to focus here on on incorporate uh, important elements. We'll break it down in in just a little bit. By the way, uh, do you do you do ebooks or only only uh, paper or hardcover books? So the the fastest route to a product was a soft cover print-based book. Okay. And and when I when I was contacted by Eckerd's Press to because they were interested in me as a little niche author yeah. For, for, yeah. Their, for their stable of authors, um, that's the way we we sort of went right away. Okay. What's interesting is I then was searching for a voice of Grace in the real world. So Kylie mm-hmm. Moore became Grace's voice. And that actually developed into a bunch of conversions of the paperback to audiobooks. Oh, that's wonderful. So now you can think about the audiobook idea and the paperback idea, but certainly online then is an easy, easy transformation as well from a technical point of view, because they're they're just um, you know PDF files essentially, mm-hmm. right? That, that get printed. 
But there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do from a, a format perspective when you get that original story done and published and 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 sort of out there in the commercial world or or out there in uh, in the audience uh, that's appropriate as a new set of characters and new stories. Uh, mm -hmm. use. So yeah, uh, so ebooks are there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, and and I'd say it's worth noting here for for people who are listening. Uh, the study at the University of Michigan found that story time with ebooks wasn't as effective as as an audiobook or a paper hardcover book compared with like I said, like they said with a compared with a physical book. Uh, parents spend more time talking about the technology instead of the book content during ebook story time. So, um, right. kind of an important consideration there. Male or male or female. Do do you find that that boys or girls engage with grace equally? Is there is there a skew to to one demographic or the other? Well, with the with the titles that I have published to date, I think the intrinsic bias for that group of books and stories tends to lean a little more towards girls mm -hmm. and 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 that's partly because grace because she's like a teenaged character becomes an aspirational figure for a three-year-old if uh -huh. grace is sort of an eight an eight-year-old uh, uh -huh. but less so for a six-year-old girl uh if grace is an eight is an eight-year-old because then grace isn't cool enough for the six-year-old so she'll go on to the young adult stuff or the or the or the monsters in high school characters okay. and, and those kinds of things, a little more older. So what I need to do as the, as an author is just create more stereotypic hardcore boy books, you know, like construction uh, equipment and dirt and, uh, you know, things like the poop story that's out there. Boys love <laughs> poop, hearing and reading and talking about poop. So, so it's those kinds of kinds of things that that we were sort of going to develop, and that's part of the activity book transition for me was to kind of get that sort of try to go into that into that aspect of of the audience, uh, mm -hmm. and then introducing more boy characters too, just so mm -hmm. that they can relate to boy characters, uh, friendship and engagement thing that happens uh, with a young boy mm -hmm. with a, with a storybook character, which sort of follows suit just as it happened with Grace. Grace is sort of the okay. boss of all her friends. You know, so that's kind of how we structured the version. And and what uh, what age is your demographic? So it 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 depends a little bit on how they're used. Uh, okay. And and this I mean in the classroom and, and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. But for the mm -hmm. most part, you know, as a as a home bedtime reading story, in an English speaking audience, it mm -hmm. tends to be three to five ish. So preschool, okay. kindergarten, and maybe some first graders. But okay, uh, certainly preschool and kindergarten. Would be would be the the target at this point, and uh, and number of number of words you have a do you have a target number of words that uh, that you're looking at. So that becomes yeah the specs then become just the practical components of of what the kids book looks like. So mm -hmm. so if it's an eight and a half by eleven uh, storybook, um, my guidance was anywhere from twenty four to thirty pages, nothing more than that, because okay. then it becomes a chapter. Essentially, then you have yeah, to start yeah. thinking about chapters. So it's so if you do twenty four to, to thirty pages, that's usually enough uh, attention span and and mm -hmm. uh, length for you to develop the story in a way that sort of has a beginning, a middle, and an end to it uh, mm -hmm. in a way that's mm -hmm. simple and 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 cogent for the kids that are learning about the words and reading the story and hearing the story. 
So that's kind of how we, we structure it. And and I think the place that that people will or the children will be will be reading these books is is of critical importance as well for for the length uh, also. These are these are typically found in preschools and doctors' offices. Uh, the clinical, yeah, the health based ones are in waiting rooms. Typically, okay. like the toothbrushing book would be another example of that. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, uh-huh. classrooms, uh, library reading circle sessions. Okay. So, so anywhere that it's um, for an activity for kids that's about ten to fifteen minutes long. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sort of what what those twenty four to thirty pages cover, essentially. Which I, I think is probably, for, at least for that age range, is probably is probably the most amount of attention that you can expect, right? Exactly. Unless you're bribing them with money and can't or can't. Exactly. All right. Let's get into the meat of this then. Uh, so uh, I, I I copied this because I, I thought that it was important for for writing a kids book, but I also found some some very deep parallels to to writing ge- uh, literature in general. You're just doing it in a much shorter time span. So, so the 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 story arc and the story structure are essentially the same for all of us. For for a child, for a young adult, for for an adult, it's just the amount of of attention that a, a particular age group or a particular demographic can uh, can can bring to to bear for for a for a piece of a piece of work, right? Yeah, and and you know, with the with the with the content and with the, the time duration and uh, the other piece of it with the children's book genre in general is that uh-huh. you don't you don't use four syllable words. I would never say hemorrhagic stroke <laughs> no. in, a, in a children's <laughs> book, although you know adults would kind of understand what that what that means. Maybe you know the adult health literacy age is, is sixth yeah. grade, you know fifth to sixth grade. So so you have to then. Uh, take your word choice mm-hmm. and your sentence structure and and not be too effusive and, and complicated in terms of, of of having the children see the words. They can hear the words that might be two or three syllables, but that's fine. But that's that's an audio book, not a not a not a reading book where they're you know, you're giving them reading skills. So so it's for me, it's it's one syllable words. It's a thousand word total. It's uh-huh. simple con- simple concepts. The concepts, uh, if the words can be visual, that helps with the illustration of the of the of the picture book. And then you you can then uh, lay on top of that, you know, musical information with QR codes and stuff like that to kind of make it multimedia for the kids. But for the most part, it's simple language, plain language, simple language is the best and when you have a character telling them that it's even more uh, of a positive uh, for, for the experience side stroke face those those types of things i'm, I'm going to play something here for you and and, uh, and then i'll i'll discuss it with you dovetailing off of it so so it's the it's whole notes uh f-a-f-n-g i was i was dovetailing off of the musical adventures of grace and kept coming to to this this initial sketch idea of 
grandma's at the piano and she's trying to she's trying to play f a f a s t but but realizes there's no there's no s or t note and it's kind of frustrating her and grace wants to know why she wants to play those notes and then she explains so that's great i love that and my my so my thinking was is we don't need to we don't need to frighten uh children no um you know by by showing by showing grandma with you know with a with I, I used to when i when i was when i was trying to recover and in physical therapy and and out for walks i used to describe my walk as a zombie walk um hmm. because i you know i had terrible limp on my right side uh my foot kept curling under my arm was basically useless at the time i've i've since retrained all the muscles uh to a different part of my brain um which was which was also part of of my background knowledge before i had the stroke so so that was in the back of my mind when i when when i was thinking about uh about the story and how that could terrify a child who doesn't understand why 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 grandma or grandpa's uh, or, uh, their their arm doesn't work or their hand their 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 leg drags behind them and uh and and they're off balance and uh, and face drooping that's that's kind of that's kind of horrific and and you've always been about preventative care and preventative maintenance with with covid and burns and and brushing your teeth and and all that right yeah i mean and and to to your point uh as as the example of your zombie walk i mean that could be characterized if we want to use that as part of the feature of the story it could be a, a sleepwalking mm -hmm, that that, mm -hmm. that kind of notion for for a kid mm -hmm. or, or if grandma's arm doesn't move anymore because she had a stroke you can you can have Grace tell the child who's reading the story that grandma's arm fell asleep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a way to kind of help them understand without getting into the pathophysiology of, of you know <laughs> nerve conduction and blood flow and all that stuff. Yeah. That yeah. Three to five year old doesn't care about, right? They yeah. only care about grandma. So so you kind of need to to frame it in a way that's grandma's okay, her arm's asleep. Mm -hmm. um, and here's how you can maybe help her wake up her arm mm -hmm. at, mm -hmm. at home because she also goes to the hospital and physical therapist and all those the occupational therapists to kind of get her use back from her yeah. own adult adult perspective, right? So, yeah. so I mean, there's there's ways that you can sort of weave a little kid story into that whole process without, like you said, you know, being confrontational or fearful, mm -hmm. so that the kids never want to pick up that book ever again and we'll have negative connotations of grandma or mommy who just experienced a stroke in her recovery phase it'll be a negative experience for the kids yeah so this is this is where i saw the parallels some of the parallels and and uh and and there's some divergence uh but some of the parallels between between adult literature and children's uh children's literature first introduce main problem quickly ideally within the first three pages you have the first obstacle, uh, a uh, an obstacle stops a character from getting what they want. 
two more obstacles, each obstacle or failure should become more difficult. Uh, then the character gives up. Character can't solve the main problem. They consider, they consider giving up. Then there's the breakthrough. They have an epiphany or a mentor figure shows them the solution. And then the main problem is solved. They resolve the main problem uh, and have a happy ending. The author of, uh, of Bonaparte Falls Apart, Will Terry, uh, who's, uh, who publishes uh, with uh, Penguin Random House, says, stay focused. Uh, the visual feeds the narrative, uh, and there's uh, there should be no subtext and no distracting imagery. In other, in other words, you're, you're drawing a direct line between ancillary characters and imagery in a text to uh, not only to to the to the text, but to what's going on with the character. So there's that right. there's that that sort of feedback loop, right? Right, and that's that's part of the whole engagement process, right? For the for the reader too, that mm -hmm. you know, keeps mm -hmm. them pull pulls them along to through the story and all its different ups and downs or or, or changes in in storyline informational or behaviors or activity to the to get them to the point where there's a happy ending at the end. All right. All right. Uh, so, uh, so where, where do we go from here, brother? How do we get started with this? Which let's I've get been, right. <laughs> let's, let's get, let's get writing. So, so we, we, we have our character, we have our prime demographic, uh, we have our format and we're skewing to girls because grace is a female character, but not specifically. I, I, I've said, I said, and, and uh, by all accounts, I'm a boy. Uh, I, Me too. I've, I've, I've always <laughs> said that if if I had the Grace books when I was a kid, I I would be I would be more musically inclined than I am today. And uh, and I, I think I think they're a blessing for boys and girls, and uh, and, and just indispensable. From the musical side of things, yeah. yeah. If you can introduce music vocabulary and the idea of notes and music mm -hmm. and rhythm and percussion and all that stuff to kids younger than middle school, where they're getting the information nowadays, you know, you might set up for spark. You know, in a younger child who that... might want to become a musician because of that. So, I mean, it does. It is non-gender, you know, neutral in terms of that perspective, right? All right. Uh, Ken Corber is the founder of the Center for Functional Learning, a 501c3 charity whose purpose is bringing together music, reading, and health for children and their parents, and even grandma. <laughs> uh, the books are available at Amazon, EckhartsPress.com, and at CenterForFunctionalLearning.com. Ken, thank you, as always, man. Always a pleasure. This is it's, always fun. It is, it is. So you're uh, you're headed out of town here, and, uh, and when you get back, uh, I suppose we're going to get to work. I'm ready. Yep. Get your pencil out. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, Ken. My sincere appreciation to the following. KindleEntrepreneur.com, How to Write a Children's Book and MemFox, and TheJohnFox.com, How to Write a Children's Book from an Editor. We'll post those links in the notes below. For more information on strokes, their causes, prevention, and recovery, visit the American Stroke Association, Stroke. Org. Like a flash in a storm in the sky, shining out but only brief. Just
Bloodshot kicked off a new year with a slate of new albums, including the latest from Florence Door, Julia Sanders, and Evermore Nest. That's the place where we all meet, the latest from Julia Sanders off her new album Morning Star, available from Bloodshot Records. Sanders hits her stride with Woman in Between, a declaration of the many sides of being a woman. Asheville singer-songwriter and Americana artist Sanders brackets deep, insightful lyrics with a melancholic mastery at the core of Morning Star. She said, I'm just a three-leaf clover, almost lucky enough. Just an arm's length from something I could almost touch. Look around, everyone seems bolder. And I'm a three-leaf clover. Definitely produced by John James Torville of New West Records, and the all-country band, the Dislans, Living Proof, builds upon a wonderful abstraction akin to Lord Huron. Where's that proof? Where's that living proof? Where's that proof? Where's that living proof? Who you got what you wanted? Sanders takes us not only on a musical journey, but a spiritual one as well. A musical exploration of childhood, parenting, transformation, and growth. This is a soulful, often autobiographical work. For more on Julia Sanders, visit juliasandersmusic.com.
new album from Nashville-born, North Carolina-based independent music artist Florence Dorr, titled Highways and Rocket Ships, was named by Lonesome Highway Magazine as the best Americana album of 2022. The title track opens with shades of Maisie Starr and Bob Dylan's knocking on heaven's door, then embarks upon this pure anthem of escape. Sweet to Me is a dreamy, soulful acoustic piece which hints at Steve Earle, whom Dorr has toured with, and evokes powerful energy opening to this bright, sunlit chorus. Dor betrays her rock and blues roots. tapping thundercloud Dora defines her moodier side with Wi-Fi heart a thoughtful melancholic shades of R.E.M., among others, across highways and rocket ships, thanks to producers Don Dixon and Mitch Easter. But that doesn't stop Doors' girl power persona from shining through with the song Lighter that would make the Donnas or the neo-retro power pop sound of the Pandora's press. 
visit florencedoormusic.com. My current favorite in the latest offering from Bloodshot Records is a standout, Evermore Nest, and their album out here now. Evermore Nest's 2018 debut, The Place That You Call Home, was nominated for Best Alt Country Album. Fronted by singer-songwriter guitarist Kelsey Wilburn, Out Here Now builds upon Wilburn's solid country blues and gospel influences and her native Mississippi River Delta and New Orleans roots. Soulfulness of Casey Wilborn's vocals drives coming along, leaving nothing off the table in a mastery of rich blended contemporary influences. Driving through Texas, I get that feeling again. Watching the last leaves hold fast to their crooked limbs. Stringing all the cities like Christmas lights on a tree. And if you show me to the bedroom, I'll show you all the sights I've seen. I'm coming along. It's hard to choose a favorite from this sumptuous offering, but if pressed, it would currently be between the heartbreaking wishing well, which builds to an impassioned treatment on recovery and empowerment. Well, my wallet seems lighter than it used to be back then when I only drank coffee and tea. Some things hit harder, pack more of a punch When you add a little whiskey, vodka, or rum And I'll sing it loud at the top of my lungs Yeah, I still think about you when I'm lonely and drunk I still think about you I don't care what you think I don't care what you say Oh, I never even hear you from this far away And it's clear from your silence that you know me so A close second would have to be the bluesy What's Gone is Gone infused with banjo and the lamentable undertones of fiddle and driven by Dave Dakotis's reverb accented guitar. Some moths can be caught in a butterfly net 
Out Here Now is simply a tight, rich, and beautiful collection of 11 tracks, well-produced with crafted songs and even smarter lyrics. Their website is evermorenest.com. And that does it for this episode of Playtime. I'd like to thank my guest, Ken Korber, from the Center for Functional Learning. A link to all of our guests are in the notes below. And if you enjoy this program, please feel free to share it, and don't forget to click the subscribe button and receive notifications on future programs. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Last when it's gone, it's gone.